podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Solid seven out of ten. That's not bad, not bad at all. A little bit of Luis Diaz in your life. Um, we are here today to chat about Toulouse and a few other bits and bobs. Let's let's park Toulouse for a second, though, Carl, because we have had news today reported by John Percy and others that the Premier League are seeking a 12-point deduction for Everton Football Club. Now, Everton have had a tough week, obviously, losing the derby, their fans then losing their minds, making up excuses for the fact that they lost the derby, despite the fact they've only won five derbies since uh, the turn of the century. Uh, Also, the passing of Bill Kenwright, which is a very sad moment for the entire city. And now this news. Now, Everton at the moment have tw- have seven points from their nine games played. A 12-point deduction obviously would put them on negative five points. Six points from bottom club Sheffield United. Ten points from Luton, who would be the club that they would have to overtake as things stand to stay in the division. Given what you've seen of them thus far this season, do you think it's realistic to think Everton could take that deduction and still stay up? Um, I mean, it always feels such a loaded question, doesn't it? Liverpool guys discussing Everton being bad enough or not bad enough to go down because that's just what they are all the time. Um, I think they could this season. I don't necessarily think that this Everton team could overcome that every single Premier League season or an average Premier League season. But this year, I think maybe so. Mm. Um, I just think that the the four teams who are currently below them are like quite considerably poorer than some of them that we've seen previously. And even if I would expect Bournemouth at some stage to get quite a lot better than they've been so far, there's still three promoted teams who look quite a distance off. Um, I think football-wise, Burnley have been the best of them, but they look really naive, really open defensively. I think there are individuals as well as the collective who have struggles at this level. Um, So maybe again, second half of the season, you see an improvement, but I still think that this Everton team is, shall we say, between now and, you know, over three quarters of the season, basically, that's what's left. Have they got enough in them to get four points more than Burnley? Probably eight points more, whatever it is. Yes, I think they probably have. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement. I I feel like, like Luton have five points 
And that's Luton with about the best possible outcome so far that they could have could have expected. You look at that Luton team and it, it's it's just not very good. Um, Sheffield United have looked pretty dreadful. And we spoke about them before the season. There's just not enough Premier League caliber players in their squad or in Luton's for that money. Bournemouth, the the Tyler Adams injury is such an enormous blow because I think he was going to be vital for them. But you would expect that they will figure some things out. And in January, they will spend again. They may even change the manager because who knows? I, I would like to see them stick with the manager because I, I feel like Bournemouth could, in a similar fashion to Nottingham Forest last season and Bournemouth last season, they could go on a run where they, they pick up you know, 12 of a possible 21 points or something like that. Yeah. Burnley are the wild card here because there's a lot of talent in that Burnley squad. They are absolutely loaded to the gills with wingers for some reason. The question is, can they stop conceding goals at this rate? They've conceded 23 already this season. If they could sort that out, and at least give themselves the chance of drawing some games and not losing games repeatedly, then maybe they could go on a little bit of a run and and get themselves into a position where they give themselves a decent chance of staying up. The one thing an Everton deduction would do is it would very much cut those five teams off from the other 15 in the league. There's a five-point gap right now from Forest to Luton. And I think there's a significant gap in quality from Forrest to Luton, even though they drew in the last game. Like Forrest should have been 4 0 up before Luton even got going in that game. Uh, it would also be five points to Brentford, who I think we both expect will improve as the season goes on. And, you know, they're due to get Ivan Tony back in January. So it would basically mean it's a five team mini league with, with two spots available to stay in the division. And I think if you put the Everton team up, man for man against the rest, they should be confident that they can overhaul the others. You know, we've been through this before, but like, there's no reason. There is no reason from a player's point of view for Everton to be this bad. Jordan Pickford has flaws, but he's not dreadful. Patterson's a good right back. Michaelenko's a good left back. Tarkovsky's good. Branthwaite looks very promising. Garner's good. Onana's exceptional. McNeil is good. Harrison is good. Ducure's a good player. Calvert-Lewin's a good nine. You've got Beto. You've got Danjuma. You've got Chermetti. You've got Idris Gay, You've got Ben Godfrey. Like, that's, that's 16 players there where you'd look at and think, they're all Premier League players. That's a solid Premier League squad. You add in the experience of Ashley Young, and Seamus Coleman, and for leadership and seeing out the last 15 minute, minutes of games, those two could be valuable. Now, Dyche needs to stop playing Ashley Young from the start of games because from the start of games, he's a liability, a la James Milner. But Milner found a role at Liverpool as a squad player where he could contribute. They can do the same with Young there. There's 18 players, and Joe Virginia is a decent backup goalkeeper giving you 19 like, that's a pretty good match day squad. Now, I know you'll have injuries across the course of the season, but that's a pretty good match day squad. There's just no reason for Everton to be in this position. 
It's not like they've got a crap manager either. Sean Dyche is a good manager. It just seems to be something that's ingrained in the fabric of Everton, where they've got this loser's mentality. And there's a lot of excuse-making as well. Every time they lose a game, they've got something to point at. That's why we lost, not we just didn't perform today. I, I just, I feel like if they're going to get a points deduction, now is probably the time to get it. Because, as you mentioned, you give yourself 29 games and all you need to do is collect nine points more than Burnley or 10 points more than Luton. And you will stay in the division. And if I'm Everton, if I've got that group of players, if I'm Sean Dyche, I'm probably backing them to do it. One thing I would say is, um, and this does pertain to what you've just said about taking it now, or you know, if it happens to be now, that's the best point to do it. I think now is, a, you know, not literally today because it's obviously going to go to a panel, independent hearing, blah blah blah, blah and they'll probably appeal it anyway. Even if it's the maximum of twelve points, which is obviously a big hit for them, but the run that they've got coming up now through to the international break is not the most taxing one they could have. Whereas if you look at it and say, you know, the, that kind of news breaks after the international break or during the international break, mm. I think it becomes very, very different from a mindset perspective as well. Like, okay, they lost the derby, fine. But it was 1-0 in the derby until very, very late on and they had 10 men. They can, you know, take what they want from that. And prior to that, they'd won three from four. Now, if they go on and play their runner games now is West Ham, Burnley, Brighton, Palace, Man United. One of those is in the cup, the others are in the league. But if you get two wins and, let's say, three games out of that run of five are, are not defeats, that's not really relegation form, to be perfectly honest. And then after the international break, it's very, very different. Forest is obviously a game they'll look at as points possible, but Newcastle, Chelsea, Burnley away, Tottenham, Man City, and suddenly Wolves look you know, a decent side again. Yeah, um, that's that's very very quickly a dreadful run for an out of form team who are in a negative spiral who have just had a points hit. You know that might be a run of games where they pick up no wins whatsoever. So I do think that timing of what maybe not just the news, but when it does actually happen, if it does actually happen, I do think that that will play a really significant part. What I do think about the the you know what about whatever about the negativity or the losers mentality, or whatever. Deitch is quite good at creating the siege mentality. The Everton fans, when they want to, can create that siege mentality. So now, with the bad news that they've had, with you know off off pitch potential issues coming towards them again, I really think that this next month before the international break could be a massively pivotal one for them, regardless of if they get the points deduction or not. There's also there's also just that, like you mentioned, that psychological factor. You get it in late October, you think right. We've got November, December, January, February, March, April, and May. That's a good That's a good length of time. You get it in late November, and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, it's almost Christmas. The, the new year is going to be here. And then all of a sudden, you know, what if we're still five or six points behind everybody? It, it can just, even though it's only a month and it's only like four games in the league, it could just play a huge a huge psychological factor. And like, I think the run coming up, I just look at their fixtures all the way through to, they play Man City on the 10th of February. 
And I look at it, West Ham away, don't fancy them to get anything. Brighton at home, their style of play is the type of style that hurts Brighton. So they could get something there. They go to Crystal Palace. You know that Roy Hodgson has that marked down as a win for Palace in his little algorithm that he works out to get 43 to 45 points. Then United at home. You don't know what United will turn up. Forest away is a game they can win, but also Forest will have targeted that as a game they can win. Then, like you said, Newcastle, Chelsea, Burnley away will have that tagged down as a game to try and win. Spurs, City, Wolves away. Wolves will be targeting Everton as a team to beat. Then they go Villa, Fulham away. They've already beaten Everton this season. Then Spurs home. And then City away. Like That is a really, really tough couple of months coming up for Everton. And I think they're nearly better if, like you mentioned, the siege mentality. They're nearly better if they can go, it's us against the world right now and just start grinding out results and being really nasty and gnarly and horrible to play against and just trying to grind out as many draws and 1-0 wins as you can get. You're going to lose... They're going to lose a bunch of these games, but if they can pick up, you know, let's say they can beat out, beat Brighton, they get a draw with United, they might draw with with Forest away, they could draw with Chelsea, they could go to Burnley and get a point, they could go to Wolves, and they could win at Wolves. I mean, they could get Wallop, but they could win at Wolves. Then they could go to Fulham and they could get something. Like, all of a sudden, you've picked up 12, 14 points, and now you're back, right back in the mix. Now you're probably above Sheffield United. You might even be above Luton, who could go on a bad run and lose a bunch of games in a row. You'd be right in the mix of Burnley and with Bournemouth, and you'd be going, well, we've just overcome that. We've just overcome having all our points taken away and going to negative five, and now we've caught them back up again. Are you that person who has everything? the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and a license with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And now you're starting to breed more confidence in. You've got that siege mentality, and now you've got confidence because now you can see survival is in hand it's right there now we only need to outdo these teams by maybe three or four points from now to the end of the season and you can start to play towards that the only issue is and this is particularly towards the Everton fans there's a fine line between a siege mentality and a really negative cauldron and Everton this season, a couple of times, have slipped into that negativity in terms of the atmosphere at Goodison. There's a reason Fulham went there and won. 
Wolves went there and won and Luton went there and won. It's because the fans are creating a negative atmosphere for this team and the team are struggling to cope with that. They did beat Bournemouth at home. They're easily the best performance of the season. But I just think, like, if you if you go back over the last three or four years when this could have been a factor for Everton, because this dates back to, you know, the pandemic and even before that, where they had these financial um, irregularities. Of the promoted teams, there's always sort of been one standout, one who's come up and done really well. This season, they're all struggling. And you've got Bournemouth struggling in there. So in a normal year, you might only have, say, two or even three teams who'd be below Everton right now. Now you've got four, and all four of them are really struggling. So it probably is their best opportunity to take it and go down. But with that said, I don't necessarily think going down would be the worst thing in the world for Everton because I really think it would give them the opportunity to completely reset the culture of the club and actually build towards something positive in the future. I guess a lot of that is also going to be to do with, you know, several other unknowns like the takeover and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if that drags on and if the points deduction does come through, do they suddenly think, well, hold on a minute, this is going to need a lot more time, a lot more of a turnaround than we had initially envisaged. It makes it much more likely it'll be a second-tier club. Does that affect the value? Blah, blah, blah. There's lots and lots of turning points around that kind mm. of a deal as well. So Definitely affects the value. Yeah, Definitely I, effect- I, buying a championship club is a lot different to buying a Premier League club, even if it's the same club you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think that it would be the worst thing as in like a complete disaster for the club long term but I do think that it would be a very bad thing relegation whatever way it comes is not a good thing uh, other than for very few select clubs who probably didn't expect to be in the Premier League in the first place but if you've been spending like a club in Europe for you know half a decade and more you haven't got anywhere near that and then you're out of the top flight and you have such uncertainty off the pitch you don't really have a strategy on the pitch it's, it doesn't look great let's be honest no, no, it doesn't. But like, the financial hit would be would be the the big issue for them, and they're already in a bad financial situation, and they're paying they're, they're paying European caliber wages to a lot of players who've never played a game in Europe for them, or players that aren't performing at a European caliber level. Like, there's no way Pickford's on anything less than a hundred grand a week. He's England's number one. Michael Keane is on big money. Tarkovsky's on big money. I'd imagine Onana's on big money, which is why he went there. Calvert-Lewin's on big money. Beto's probably on a sizable chunk of money too. Decoure's going to be on big money. Andre Gomes is on significant cash. Now, I think his contract's up at the end of the season regardless. But like a lot of these guys, save for Tarkovsky, Calvert-Lewin and Onana, you could really do without. I mean... It would give them the chance to sell, you know, Pickford. And the fans can't gripe about it. Because I think Everton would have liked to have sold Pickford in the last couple of years. They know the fans will kick off about it. I think they'd have liked to have sold Calvert-Loon a few years ago when his value was at its peak. But the fans just make it really hard. Anything this board has done, the fans have just gone absolutely haywire about I, I, I do just kind of feel like Everton's a club more than any other club around right now 
that needs an enormous reset that almost needs to be torn down and rebuilt. And even if you had to spend two years in the championship to do it, I, I kind of feel like for the long-term health of the club, assuming the, the new ownership group are going to get approved and assuming they're still willing to take over, I, I do. And there, so there's not going to be, you know, financial insecurity for the club. I do feel like the chance to just wash away 28 years of mediocrity and the last 10 have just been a shambles to wash all that away and just start afresh and come back up in a couple of years with it, with a real plan, a real aim, a squad of players that are there for the right reasons, a squad of players that are hungry to prove themselves. I, I feel like that might be the best thing for the club long-term, like looking at the next 10 years, I feel like, because otherwise like, What's going to change? Like, realistically, what's going to change for Everton in the next couple of years? They're just going to continue to grind it out and finish 16th and 17th? Yeah, it would be a slower revamp, basically, and it's very tricky to do that when you don't really have any consistency over playing style, over recruitment style, over you know how you are trying to revamp that team without making the big sales, so... It is it is a very frustrating thing to watch from a you know a club progress perspective, even if you don't care about Everton, say. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a quick fix there either way. That's for sure. No, no, there's not. Right, let's park Everton then and go to our opponents on Thursday night, Toulouse. Um, there's a couple of Liverpool links here, obviously. Um, they are owned by Redbird Capital, who own part of Fenway Sports Group. And Jerry Cardinal is uh, expanding his portfolio of football clubs. Let's put it that way. They are run on a day-to-day basis by Damian Camoli, former director of football operations at Liverpool. Uh, my assumption is that he was recommended to Jerry Cardinal by John Henry. Um, because otherwise I'm not sure why you would hire Damien Camoli. He did poorly with us. He did poorly at St. Etienne. He did very poorly at Spurs. Um, He has no success as a director of football, so I'm not sure why else he would have gotten that job. But to his credit, he has overseen them get promoted from the second division into the top flight. And last season, in their first season in the top, back in the top flight, they finished 13th and they won the French Cup. Uh, that's not quite as impressive as it sounds because they beat Lanyon, uh, a Jekyll, who are a League Two team. Uh, they beat Stade de Reims, who are pretty good. They beat Rodez, they beat Anisi, and then they hammered Nantes in the final, which was impressive because Nantes were, were their defending champions. But all things considered, I mean, they're, they're not one of France's best teams. This season, they sit 10th, uh, largely because the French League is an absolute mess at the moment. They've only won two of their nine league games, five draws, two defeats, 11 goals scored, 10 conceded. So very much the draw specialist of the French League. In the Europa League, they drew with Union Saint-Gelos in the first game. Uh, a 1-1 draw. They went one up in that one and the Union came back. And then they beat Lask 1-0 last time out. Um, 
they're not an intimidating opponent, Carl. <laughs> um, yes, that's right. I mean, I, I, do, you know, do you know what? Even before we start going into Toulouse, I think you've just kind of mentioned a point which we should touch on at the very least, the state of French football um, and, and what is happening and what's going on here. Um, Ligue 1 at the minute, just a couple of high or low lights, depending on your perspective, obviously. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, not top for anybody who, who hasn't been paying attention. Not any massive reason why you would do, I suppose, this early in the season as well. So they're, they're third at the minute. Uh, only a couple of points off, but Monaco are top. Nice are the only unbeaten side, but they've drawn almost as many as they've won. Nobody has won seven games from nine yet. That's you know not outrageous, but it's not it's not great. Only one team has won more than five out of nine. Um, Lyon are bottom. Mm. Lens, who beats Arsenal, are one place outside the relegation zone. Uh, Toulouse, as you mentioned, tenth. And then teams who have been fairly strong over the last few seasons in in different ways: Nantes, Marseille, and Rennes, seventh, eighth, ninth. Then League Two. Or Ligue de Ozera is still down in there. Saint-Etienne are still there. Ajaccio are there, who you mentioned. Uh, Bordeaux are 15th in, in Ligue de. It's a bit of a, an odd time in French domestic football right now. Marseille are the definition of mediocre this season. Played nine, won three, drawn three, lost three, scored 12, conceded 12, goal difference zero. Um, you mentioned Nice in second. Uh, like you said, they've they've drawn four, won five. They've scored ten goals in their nine games. They've only conceded four, though, which is really impressive. And Jean-Claire Tadibo, who I know you weren't a big fan of a couple of years ago, he has been absolutely outstanding. Like, he is, I think, comfortably the best centre-back in the league thus far this season. Um. Yeah, there's it it's it's a strange league. It really is. Like like you said, Lons fifteenth, Leon bottom. I mean that's Leon being bottom is the equivalent of Arsenal being bottom. Like they're one of the historically great French clubs. And we're both old enough to remember when they ruthlessly dominated French football in the two thousands and won it seven times in the decade. They're a great, great club. And yet, would actually, to be fair, maybe Chelsea's a better comparison. Well, well, I was going to make a different comparison, not an English team. I was going to say it's the equivalent of Ajax being in the relegation zone, which is also the case at the minute. Which is also happening. Yeah, European football is strange at the moment. It's, it's, very, having, very... it's having a moment. <laughs> Definitely. Um, anyway, Toulouse. Are they going to lose? Ba boom. Um, Had some gentle at, humor. <laughs> some I mean, gentle it's, humor. It's pretty terrible, wasn't it? Um, uh, we can look at this either way. They've won, sorry, they've lost once in their last eight games or they've won twice in their last 10. Mm. You, know, you, you mentioned draw specialists there before. They are having a good go at that title so far this season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, they're still trying to establish themselves in the division, having only come up at the end of the 21-22 season. So I don't have uh, any criticism of how they're going about their business. I think the manager has a very defined style of play. I think he wants certain things from his players. And 
He's still a very young manager. Um, only took over in the summer. It was a bit of a surprise appointment because he'd always been a youth coach and Camoli has kind of picked him as one of the next big things. And he's got his ideals and he's got his way of playing. And while a 27.27 win percentage is not good, only losing two of your first 11 games is pretty good. It's a pretty impressive way to start things out. If you can have that base where you're really hard to beat, then you can you can build off of that. Um, they do have some talent, particularly in the attacking area. So Zakaria Abuklal uh, was at PSV around the time Cody was kind of establishing himself. He came through from the academy as well, was quite highly regarded, um, didn't quite make the grade, went on to A's at Alkmaar. It, it didn't go great with AZ, but he's done pretty well this season for Toulouse. His partner up front, Delinga, the young Dutch forward, is also a talent. He was very, very good for Excelsior before joining. And then maybe the most talented of the three is Ibrahim Sissoko, who they signed from NEC in the summer. He looks, from the bits I've seen, he looks like an exciting winger. He's got good pace. He's got good acceleration. He's very comfortable taking his man on. Other than that, though, like I look at their squad, Rasmus Nicolaisen's decent. I mean, he was at uh, Mitlian for a good while. He had a loan to Pompey. Gabriel Suazo's decent at left back. But other than that, there's nobody that I'm, I'm hugely familiar with, to be completely honest. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, I think even those descriptions of decent might be being fairly kind and fairly generalistic, to be honest. Can have good games, a couple of them, certainly, and have their own strengths, obviously. But I wouldn't say that there's anyone who is consistently a standout, and that's kind of how this squad has been built. I'm talking about decent for a mid-table French club. Yeah. Yeah. That that level. They're decent for where they are now as a club. The hope will be, obviously, maybe one or two of their forwards will have a really good run, they can sell them and then reinvest that money into the team and, and go again. Um, Frank Magri was the other one who, was, as, as a younger player, as a youth player, was meant to be very, very good. I don't really see too much of him over the last couple of years, to be perfectly honest, or probably even since the very beginning of his career, to be honest. Uh, I know he was highly rated and was expected to go into the French youth system, but didn't. Mm. So he ended up playing for Cameroon last year, I think, so... Not not 
any of them who have hit the heights and come back down, let's say, like sometimes we see in, in European football, um, not any who have really been at big clubs and not quite made the grade, but a, a collection of fairly solid players probably is, is kindest to say. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Right. <clears throat> We've talked enough about them. They don't, we don't really know, because neither of us are going to sit and watch mid-table French football. And other than us, I don't really want to watch a whole lot of Europa League because the standard is just atrocious. But we are playing in this competition and we, we want to win this competition. So we can't just throw out 11 children to play them tomorrow night because we do have to take it seriously. But I do think we'll see a very, very heavily rotated team. So assuming Kelleher is good to play, uh, I'd be stunned if he's not in goal. I think Kwanzaa will start at centre-back. I think there's a question mark over who starts next to him. My guess is Joe Gomez starts right back. And then the biggest question mark in the defence is at left back. Now, my guess is Matip starts next to Kwanzaa, but it could be Kanate because maybe Klopp will want to switch them back and get Matip in the league and Kanate in this competition, considering Kanate had a bit of a shaky one at the weekend. Uh, but I would guess Matip starts here next to Kwanzaa with Gomez at right back. Do you agree with that, those three? And if so, who's the left back? If not, what are you changing? I think that we'll have fewer starting changes, but try and maybe have a very strong first half to the game and then make changes from that point. So I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, Simicast did start because let's be honest, he's not exactly been overworked yet this season. And Joe Gomez is right back, but then maybe we see a half-time sub or something like that. And either Simicas is replaced you know, by another left-sided alternative or Trent comes on and gets some time uh, as he's still trying to get back to full fitness and Gomez switches to the left. Yeah, that's possible. Very possible. There is the option of Chambers or Scanlon at left-back, but... Costas came off on around 60 in the derby. And I mean, it wouldn't be beyond the possibility that that was a pre-planned change with this game in mind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah we, Costas we, definitely could come, come in. Do you think the centre-backs, because Virgil's at Disneyland, so he's not playing as far as I can see. Um, what do you think is, is happening at centre-back for this one? Um. I half wonder whether it might be Matip and Kanate for this one, but, mm. you know, maybe Kwanzaa then gets his chance in the latter stages of the group. If we've already wrapped up qualification on match day four or whatever, maybe that's an opportunity for him to get a bit more game time. I wouldn't be against him starting at all. I don't think he's put a foot wrong, to be honest. And as we've said, he needs more match situations defensively so we can really see what level he's at. And that's that's got to come eventually, you know. We can't just keep playing him when... He's got a, a fairly easy ride or whatever. So I don't think he would have too many problems in this game because I don't think Liverpool will have too many problems in this game. But it might just be that we want to keep it as as senior as possible again from the start. And we have yeah. seen Klopp use this competition for uh, minutes and planning. Like you said, like, you know, we saw, was it the opening game where we had two subs at halftime just regardless of what the score was? And it was just, this is what we're doing for this game. Um, so I wouldn't be massively surprised if it was something along those lines again. 
Yeah, because you can bring on Kwanzaa and, say, Scanlon on 70 if we're 3-0 up and just give them the 20 minutes and let them let them get that bit of extra experience and get that game time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Matip and Kanate, it's a, it's a partnership that we know works. So I'd have absolutely no issue with that. Uh, no issue if Costa starts. And I think, I think Joe Gomez will start right back. Midfield is an interesting one. Mm. Um, I would hope that Waturo Endo starts because otherwise, why on earth have we signed him? I would guess Curtis Jones will start because he can't play domestically until the 2nd of November or something like that. I think they're two locks. I think we nailed them in right now. Yeah. So the the question here is, who's the third midfielder? Now, the obvious answer might be Harvey Elliott. But is there a case for Gravenberg to get him more minutes? Because I have to say, Carl, there's been a, a lot of praise has gone his way after the Everton game. And I thought he was fine, but he wasn't spectacular or sensational or superb or any other word beginning with S that other people have thrown around. He was just okay. He showed a decent level of technical ability. He showed his intelligence, but he wasn't really involved in the game. Like he completed 31 passes or something in 60 minutes and Harvey Elliott had the same amount in 30 minutes playing in a similar attack-minded role. Mm. He was quite sterile with his passing, a lot of backwards passes, nothing very progressive. The ones that were progressive were, you know, 15 yards to Diaz in space. He didn't try and force the issue at any point. And I know people will say, oh, well, that's what Klopp asks him to do, but it's bullshit because it's not how Curtis plays that role. It's not how Dominic played that role when he went there or when he started there in a previous game. So I don't buy that that's what he's asked to do. I, I feel like we need to involve him more, but he also needs to do more when he has that involvement to justify his place in the team. Yeah, I think that's something he'll have to learn. Um, you know, he's had a couple of really good attacking impacts. And when you haven't got your place nailed down or you haven't been here that long, it probably is a little bit easy to overlook that you have to do so much more off the ball, so much consistent contributions and you know, as a young player and still a new player, he'll have to find that out and probably lose his place in the team in the meantime, to be perfect. Unless that's what usually happens. Um, but I think against Everton in particular, he was good early on and, you know, good work rate and defensively helped us a few times with little challenges or recovery runs or that. Uh, but I think he just faded out the game completely. And I think the same happened with Simic, to be perfectly honest. There was a lot of overlaps, a lot of link up play, not always technically inch perfect. Sometimes he didn't get the tackles right coming back or whatever, but he was still, I think, trying to be involved in the game. And the same with Gravenberch first half. And then I think that they both really, really faded. And you know, that's what happens when you're not in the team. So minutes on the pitch is is the remedy to that. And so I guess if we're saying so for Simicas in defense for that to be the case, then you know it, we can't say absolutely not for for this match here. But I just wonder whether it's a, a. We want Jones to be the left sided one, basically. So it's do you want uh, Gravenberch to be the absolute alternative to Solzlei and play a similar sort of role to him there and get as much attacking out of him as possible? Or do you want to give Elliot a chance because he's had a couple of decent impacts off the bench? Well, if if what I would do is I'd actually start both of them. I'd start Elliot in the left wing 
and I'd play Gravenberg in the in the Dominic role, and I'd just tell him to make things happen. Go mm. out and make things happen. Go out, be aggressive, be attack-minded, be front-footed. I <clears throat> I would link Costas's struggles, especially defensively, directly with Gravenberg, who made one tackle in his 60 minutes on the pitch in a midfield in a derby, which is, you know, bizarrely low. Um, and I didn't mean, it was an entirely didn't left side as well. It was. That's it. That's entire, That's the thing. It was a left side that didn't know each other. And if you move Gravenberg across and you play Harvey right wing, it's going to be a, a right side that doesn't know each other. But it, it's a, a Europa League game that nobody really cares about. Um, I would like to see him start right side. I think he looks more comfortable right side as well, to be completely honest. Agreed. I think so his best, I, best showing moments have been there. Have been yeah when when he's come on uh, either in place of Dominic or whatever I think he's looked much more comfortable there so I'd like to see him right side Curtis left side Endo in the in the six and then play Harvey right wing Cody Gakbo through the middle who's back in full training and then it's a question of who plays left wing and I think there's three options <clears throat> you could play Diaz <clears throat> who had a frustrating derby but made a big impact. I mean, he got Ashley Young sent off. Both fouls were on him. He won the penalty. He should have won another penalty. And other than that, made some very poor decisions on counterattacks. Uh, then there's the Diogo Jota option. I think we know what we get from him there. Uh, a lack of technical strength, but you know, he's busy and he works hard and he runs the channel and he'll track back and he'll help Costas. And he is dangerous as a back post option for Harvey or for Gravenberg or Gomez delivering into the box. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And the third option is you could play Ben Doak on the on the left. I don't really understand why we don't play him on the left, because to me his skill set is far more suited to what we ask our left winger to do than what we ask our right winger to do. So I wouldn't be against going with Elliot Gatpo and one of the two senior lads starting and then Doak coming on. Let's say you start Gakpo and Diaz or Gakpo and Jota and you bring on 
no, actually start Gakpo and Diaz, bring Jota on for Gakpo on 60 and bring Doak on for Diaz on 70 or whatever. I mean, Doak might miss out, I guess. Unless oh, he's he injured, to, isn't he? Yeah, because he was injured on international duty. Ah, but yeah, shit. It's, not, it's, not a, it's not a major thing, but he might just miss this one at the minute. I, I don't want to see a single minute of Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk or Alison Becker in this game. I don't want to see a single minute of them in this group from now to the end of it. But everybody else is fair game. Maybe not Dominic. Maybe you want to keep him out as well. But I'm sure Tom's we'll get a 10-minute Dominic. Tom's 15 minutes for sub, isn't he? Come he on. is, without he's question. A, he's, he's getting off the bench. Minutes. Yeah, he's getting six shots. <laughs> Average speed of 900 mile an hour. All from outside the box. Yeah. And one of them's finding the top corner. Um, what would you do? What would you do as a front three? Because I, I think... If Doak is hurt, then I think it has to be Elliot right wing, unless Mo is going to start. I really don't want Mo playing in this tournament for now. Um, I, if if Salah's going to play a part, I'd rather it was this game, to be perfectly honest. I think the run that we've got at the minute of fixtures, the form that he's in, the, the fixtures that we have left in the group, play him at home when he hasn't got to travel anywhere against a team who he's obviously miles better than. He's in really good form, and we're at home again at the weekend. There's no big travel involved here or anything. So let him play if he really wants to for 50, 60 minutes, score a goal, keep that going. And then maybe, you know, when the Quanzas come in and all the rest of them for the last two games we've already through, then, you know, Salah gets stood down with the rest of them. It's It's not a massive recovery period needed at the minute, um, you know, in terms of there's another massive game coming straight up. It's home to Nottingham Forest, but it's not 1985 anymore, you know, so... They beat us last season! Hey? They beat us last season! Yeah, everybody beat us last season. We were crap. This is a different it's side. True. So, it's true. Um, look, I mean, next midweek is Bournemouth in the Cup, you know, that's that's a resting point before Luton in the league. Again, you're not looking at a a, a tremendous turnaround of high-octane fixtures here. These are games Liverpool should control and the forwards can play a decent part and not have to play 90 minutes in them. At this early in the season, with this intensity that we have at the minute, I, I think it's okay, to be honest. Um, unless there are obviously you know, physical markers in training that you know, people with access to the data have that as usual. We acknowledge that it exists and we don't have, so we're only going on what we can see. Mm. I think it's all right for Salah to be involved in this at this moment. I don't want him to play the full 90 by any minutes, by, by any means, but I'd rather get the job done now, if I'm being honest, rather than after the international break, then we play Man City away, then we've got to play last and we need a result sort of thing, or we've got to finally get a result against Union away before we play Man United that weekend. I, I just rather just bookend this competition with a couple of wins and then we're done. And then we can do what we want. And we're top and we know we're not have to play that stupid qualifier to get through to the knockout rounds, even after you get through the group stage. What is that about? Whatever. Um, this is a joke competition and I just want to get it done. And if that means Salah plays an extra hour here, fine. If fine. we just can't fine. beat Toulouse at home without they agree. Salah, I agree. I can see But I do think that it's a lot on him and his mindset because you've yeah. got this. No, you're right. He may well he may well demand to play. Like it, yeah. it's Mo. This is what he does. He wants to I, play. I I would pick the same as you. I would. I would have Gravenberg's right side and I would have Elliot left wing. 
and see if they dovetail a little bit, see if they can both play themselves into really good attacking form, both if they can have a bit more consistency across the course of 60, 70, maybe even 90 minutes. And I would have Darwin in the lineup 100%. If Cody's fit enough to play because he's trained since Sunday, then fine, he can start and then swap with Jota or whatever. But I would be starting Darwin as... as you know, if Salah's starting, I want Darwin in the team. If it's Salah right wing, I want Darwin through the middle and I want Cody left wing. I want Darwin through the middle and Cody left wing, not the other way around. I don't want Darwin left wing anymore because it's a complete waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of him. He's so effective through the middle. The partnership with him and Mo is electric. I think Cody can impact the game more from the left wing than he will through the middle with those two. Um, And it also allows you to keep it back for and shift to a boxy midfield because you can have Gravenberch and Gakbo play more advanced and narrow with Curtis sitting in next to Endo as a double pivot and just use Gomez and, and Costas as your width. Um, it's nice to have options and, you know, we're in a, a decent enough spot at the moment in terms of injuries Obviously, Thiago is is still unavailable for whatever the issue is. Uh, Stefan Besetic remains unavailable. A month after Jürgen said it was a little, little, little tiny calf injury. Sorry, sorry, I'm wrong. A little, 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 that's four littles for anyone counting, tiny calf issue. Um, And a month later, he still hasn't been seen. So him and Thiago are out. Cody's back, so that's great. Curtis is suspended from domestically, but he's fine to play in Europe. And then Robbo's out, and that's it. And Robbo is the only one who'd be a starter of the current injuries. I mean, I, I don't think Thiago's a starter anymore. I think he's going to be a rotation player if and when he comes back. Besetic certainly isn't a starter. Um and even Cody, like he's not in our best front three right now. It's it's Mo, it's Darwin, and it's Diaz. And I think he's got more chance of taking Diaz's role than he does of taking Darwin's role. Which you know, shout out to all those who wrote Darwin off after Cody had a good two months in February and March. Um, Robbo's the only one that's really a first choice starter who's injured at the moment, compared to where we were last season. And three seasons ago, it's it's quite nice to look at the injury list and go, do you know what? We're in we're in good nick at the moment. I mean, compared to last season, it's nice to look at the results table and go, do you know what? We're in good nick at the moment, to be perfectly honest. I, I other than maybe when we have a really good season and follow it up with a season like last year, it's it's quite tough to envisage more of a swing than we've had in in style of play, in consistency of play in obviously results which is the the main thing um but you're right we we do have options at the minute even with a few players out and i do think that in this kind of competition midweek competitions let's term them even if we do get up another injury along the way you know another month down the line it could still look even stronger you know we might be without a robertson and a somebody else but have a tiago and that's a really big alternative option to have there in the middle. Bastic may come back and have another really big impact over a, you know, a, a condensed period of time. So 
it is positive at the minute for sure. No, no question about it. And I think most impressively of all is that we are managing to have two or three small but notable in-game switches, whether it's, you know, where Trent runs, whether it's the right and left eights interchanging a little bit more. You know, there are, there are some nice switches going on in the games which are serving us well at the minute. Um, You've mentioned Trent a few times and you mentioned the possibility of getting him minutes in this game because, you know, to try and get him back up to speed. I've been a little concerned with Trent this season. Um, I thought he started the season a bit shaky, then started to find a bit of a bit of form, got injured. I think since he's come back, he's looked a little undercooked, like he's not quite ready to be there. His passing doesn't seem like it's as as good as it has been. He seems to have lost a little bit of burst over short distance. Is that the nagging injury, do you think, or or what, what's what's your view on how Trent has been this season? I, I don't think he's been great, and as we know, he's a great player, so he's not at top level. Um, there have been a couple of games where his passing looks fantastic, but I think mostly that's been games where he's not being put under pressure, to be br- brutally honest. I think the moments in the games where he's been challenged or where they've made it their mission to stop him moving into midfield and get space and time on the ball. He has struggled a little bit. I think he still needs to be, in general, not just recently, a bit quicker when he's taking the ball in that area on the top turn uh, to make you know first time passes, which are not the cutting edge ones. I'm not talking about where he tries to play it 40 yards through. I'm talking about where he's playing it off to his centre-backs or, the, or the, the midfielders. Some of those are still a little bit sloppy for my liking. Those are the ones which should be absolutely nailed on every single time and then you take risks with better ones so I, I don't think he's quite there yet but I wouldn't expect him to be all the time to be honest you know he's he's, he's not a central midfielder in terms of senior career so he's still got a bit to learn there and that will have to come a bit better um, and I, I agree I don't think he's anywhere near 100% sharpness just yet and again I wouldn't necessarily expect that immediately you know the first game that he came back where he came on the sub it was quite difficult to watch to be perfectly honest mm. that was uh spurs was it when he came back on um, yeah that was 16 17 minutes something like that of very very heavy legged running uh and he's only had two league games since then so I, i'm not concerned let's say but it hasn't been very good so I'm not against him getting game time, whether that's in a cup or you know an England shirt as he did or whatever it is. I think he, he probably needs a good few weeks to get up to full fitness, and then maybe like he's, you mentioned that little acceleration burst in midfield to win the ball back comes back. Uh, we've seen him surge forward a few times with the ball at his feet, but then after the shot it, or the pass, it is quite a, a slow turn to get back. So again, a bit more needed there in terms of overall athleticism to go with the uh, expected increase in his technical level. Mm. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Um, right. Let's do predictions then. What do you think? Um, we're much, much better than Toulouse, but I don't think we've necessarily been, you know, cooking in the Europa League matches to be, to be blunt. Um, there's, there's been, some periods of the couple of matches so far, which have been not fun, I think is the best way to, to say it. So although I do think we're three, four nil better than them, I don't necessarily think that we'll 
get there easily or just because we are better than them. I, I think there's still a bit of a, maybe it's the mindset, maybe it's the atmosphere, maybe it's the fact that they are playing second tier football and it's, you know, a little bit either unmotivational or humbling of what happened last year for some of them. Um, but I, I just don't think that we'll go all guns blazing just because it's Europa League at the minute and it's a group stage and we know we'll piss it e- uh, through easily. So I'll go um, 2-0. Should I go 3-0? Are you going to go 2-1? Oh, it's a, it's a difficult time. I don't really care is the answer. I, I think we'll win and that's that's really all that matters at this stage. So I'll go 3-0. That's very fair. Uh, I'll go 3-1 just because it's Liverpool. Um, I'll go 3-1. Uh, I, I think we'll win. Uh, an early goal will make all the difference for us here. If we can get an early goal and get confident and start playing our football, I, I think we could We could put up a heavy score. Yes, we could. I, I'll, go, I'll go with a, with a, a 3-1. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up? Um. I don't think so. I think, like we say, it's it's quite important to keep the the squad players that you know the first batch of squad players really involved at this point because you know in this run coming up we'll need some of them, but in the run after the international break we'll probably need all of them, uh, especially if we want to continue in the in the uh, Carabao Cup midweek for extra matches and you know trophy possibilities and all the rest of that stuff. So I do think that if we see a few of the more familiar names. Um, starting that that's okay as long as it's not the full 90 and so on and beyond that we're just looking for probably some big performances from a couple of the ones that we've mentioned like Gravenberch probably Kelleher could do with a really good game if he has much to do um, and yeah fingers crossed no no further injuries and maybe Darwin gets himself one of those nights where everything he hits rips the net in two that would be very very nice uh, I will leave you with this parting t- thought for those wondering how a grand old club like Lyon could be bottom of the French First Division. They do employ one Dejan the Pebble Lovren, and while he has missed most of the season through a muscle injury, um, he did play the last two games, and he was shit in both of them. So there you go. They've conceded five goals, and he's absolutely all over the place. Uh, Yeah, so there you go. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.